0: Bernard Callio joins us for our monthly Drawn Out segment talking about comic books and related things. Good morning, Bernard.
1: Richard Watts. We are indeed drawn out again talking about comic books Um, and uh, the continual, ah, is it a a, a waterfall? It's it's certainly an enormous uh, river stream watercourse uh, what a table of of, of comics and uh, graphic novelly goodness keeps um, erupting like a geyser. Uh, and so I've got some comics to talk about, some new releases uh, and some eventy things and some online things. So let's get going. Um, the first book I want to talk – I'm going I'm to heft this your way, uh, Richard, across the desk. This is the magnificent uh, publication, Home Time. Create, there he is working out uh, by, by uh, lifting this book it, it feels so, about a, like a kilo and a half <laughs> it's about a kilo and a half folks um, at home time by uh, a Perth comic book maker Campbell White and this is his debut book and it's a big book a big hardback book uh, published by Top Shelf Productions over in the US and Top Shelf are significant for Australian creators because they've now been behind Blue by Pat Grant and this uh, Home Time by Campbell White that we're talking about right now and upcoming uh, Bottled by Chris Gooch. So they're, um, they're doing some great work f- oh, well obviously they makers are doing the work, but, uh, but in terms of getting comics, our comics, Australian comics, Australian graphic novels to a larger audience, and particularly that large uh, North American audience, um, top shelf are doing some great stuff. And I've just started, as you've been uh, introducing
0: it, I just opened the book and began... I, sometimes I'll just open stuff in the middle you at will. random. I've seen that. Uh, and I just thought with this one, well, it's a it's, a, it's a hard cover. It's be- already... The cover is beautifully designed. Mm. I flipped over the back cover. Uh, the last school bell has rung. And finally, it's Home Time. Home Time being the name of the book. And I just thought, well, I just want to see how they how, introduce how this they story. This?
1: How will they do this? How will Campbell White pull this off, you thought to yourself.
0: And so we begin with a school anthem <laughs> for Old Mill Primary School. <laughs> I can't read music, so I, I can't sing it. But it is, the song is printed with notation on the page. Uh, and then we clearly, we introduce our main characters yes. on, the, on the page opposite. Yes. And six they, and six
1: they- panels, green tinged. Uh, and then and, 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 and each of those panels gives us one of our six main characters and these are kids who are just graduated from primary school so this is the the bell the last school bell has gone like the last school bell of primary school and this bunch of friends it has, hasn't quite gone though because, no no that's right
0: you turn a couple <laughs> of pages later and you get the countdown to the beginning of the bell which sets the seat the, the, the scene of local uh, streets but there's also a gorgeous map of the school yes
1: um in the, How, and, and just a few of those notations about the way that... that, that Yeah, ma- ma- so ma- there's
0: uh the sport shed with a, a note saying, first kiss behind here with Amy Bronson and fourth kiss with <laughs> Linda Kitman. <laughs> the amphitheatre, which is best lunch spot. <laughs> yep. uh, but also, ouch, step I missed in year five and chipped my tooth. Yeah, This yep. one, it says, <laughs> with an illustration. So <laughs> al- already within the first couple of pages, it's vividly evoking childhood primary school memories, the importance of primary school when, you if you've spent all six or seven years of primary school going to the one school, which I didn't do, no. did, <laughs> Bernard and I were talking about earlier, um, but nonetheless, those those memories that become ingrained and so deeply connected with place.
1: And the sort of mythic world that, that that place represents, and Campbell White's done a beautiful thing here, because what happens to these kids is that they then uh, shift, transition from for real world to fantasy. Well, it's a very tricky question. This is, uh, you know, I, we're, we're just talking about how substantial this book is, and it's just the first book. So you get to the end, and you go, and, and there's an amazing cliffhanger at the end. But they, from this last day of school, and he does some beautiful evocations as we're talking about of that that feeling of freedom that these kids have, and they're going off to do a to do a sleepover together and sort of celebrate their friendship, and then something happens, and they find themselves in this other world. And you go from this sort of it's not um, uh, black and white but it's certainly a monochrome sort of everyday world into a much more vivid, uh, coloured World that they discover themselves in,
0: but even though the shift, as you say, from the early muted, muted. colours yeah, of yeah, the yeah, real yeah. world, yeah, 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 and as you then shift into a world that is somehow other and mm. different, there's still a kind of almost sepia-like tone to the memory colour.
1: sort of feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, so absolutely. I can
0: already see just within the first few pages of this book that it. I mean, it's beautifully drawn. This series of small panels, but and the presenting the children and their world and their lives but then interspersed with with again with more maps and information and, yeah exactly
1: yeah. so there's some great stuff in there for uh fans of you know uh, yeah, maps of fantasy worlds and details like he really works this other place that they find themselves in, the details of it. And it's particularly beautiful, I think, because it looks like an Australian fantasy world. So there's a sort of, you know, licks of uh, eucalypt and uh, certain watercourse sort of ideas. It's, it's a really, it's a, it's a remarkable achievement in world building. This book, uh, uh, as well as uh, as narrative, because you really get to meet these characters. Uh, and Richard was flicking through the book before, and what he's done is uh, another astonishing thing: is that each character, each of the well, five characters who end up in the other world, uh, get their own art style. So each each of their sort of sections or chapters, um, uh, Campbell White has sort of inflected. So there's one character who say who's obsessed with video games, and his chapter is all in pixel art. Uh, so you just get this. A very beautifully um, refined sense of voice or perception, I suppose, of each character in their their chapter, which explores them, their relationship to this new world. Some of them really take to it. Others are very tentative uh, about it. You've got great character stuff happening there.
0: I'm totally going to
1: have to get a copy of this. <laughs> you really... Really are like it's 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 drenched in 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 video games. It's drenched. In, I mean, you know, it's when they're still in the real world. Um, one of them teases the other, and 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 the comeback is Ah, oh, by the tentacles of Cthulhu, will you? You know, they're just like they're total role player kids. And they uh, there's one beautiful line at the beginning when they have this. Cele- they go to the fish and chip guy, and they get a celebratory. Uh, A bag, um, amount of chips, and they pay you know five bucks worth of chips. Five bucks—that's a lot of chips. And then the chip man, who who knows that it's their last day, says, "You know, I'm going to give you ten dollars worth of chips. Ten dollars worth of chips." And then one of them's holding this bag, this steaming bag of chips, and he says, "Oh, it feels like a it feels like a big potato, hot potato baby." glorious. Yeah, it's glorious. So, so that's
0: Campbell White's yeah. Home Time, published by Top Shelf Productions. Productions. So you could probably jump online and order it directly from them, or you could go into a good independent bookstore. Maybe ask, I don't know, if you've got a Readings nearby, yeah. or the Brunswick Street bookstore, or uh, Hairs and Hyenas, or one of those other many fine independent Many book, fine.
1: It's, it's very new, so it's, I mean, I've just, I, I was on you know on pre-order, waiting with bated breath, uh, so it's just, just turned up. But I've been reading it with my um, Our son, uh, Zebedee, who's 12, and we've been having a ball. He he loves, you know, he's in year seven, so he's sort of contemporary with these kids, and he's really, you know, he can't believe that he has to wait for the next book. So you can go to www.com. Top Shelf Comics, with an X, topshelfcomics.com
0: uh, if you wanted to order a copy, or you could ask your local independent bookseller to, to order in
1: Home Time by Campbell White. Campbell White. W-H-Y-T-E. T-E. Yeah, yeah. So that's a Perth, Perth production. And yeah, some of the licks of that of the school detailing, you know, you're clearly in Perth. Those kids are in Perth. So keeping keeping with the hard covers, because you know, comics. You know, let's give them a little a little bit of respect. Let's give them a lot of respect. Uh, text local publisher Text has just published. Jail Bird uh, by Simon Barnard. And that's uh, jail with a G. with Of course, because, you know... Because we're, it's oldie. <laughs> Ye oldie. And this is the uh, true story of William Swallow. Yeah, Convict and Pirate by, by Simon, Barnard. Simon Barnard. Simon Barnard, who's uh, previously produced the A to Z of Van Diemen's Land and um, uh, a book about uh, t- con- um, convict tattoos. He's very immersed in the world of... Oh, I, I didn't pick up that book but I saw the street
0: campaign for it there were stickers everywhere (laughs) kind of uh, presenting convict tattoos and I thought what a great way to promote a book yeah
1: yeah so wonderful wonderful artist this is a uh, uh a different sort of book from him so this is it's a it's a picture book it's a picture book pitched for, for for kids and it's the story the true story of this man um william swallow and simon who is a great fan of the classic mad comics of the 50s and that's we're talking about harvey kurtzman and will elder is really channeling uh, those guys in the artwork for this book which is the story of this convict um who's brought across from england and is just this I don't know Steve McQueenish sort of, you know, con- serial escaper. Um- but one of – I mean, so you've got the story there of of him and his multiple escapes and, and and his um, – uh, not mutiny or anything. He and his buddies take over a ship. Uh, Simon has um, shown William Swallow as a swallow, so as a bird, as an escaping bird. And this is a um, – what do you call that? This is a landscape format book. So when you open each double-page spread, it's this beautiful expanse of landscape or seascape and – each double page spread is sort of a. It feels to me more like an illuminated manuscript. Uh, it's ex, exquisitely um, drawn and, and sort of a Looney Tunes manic quality about the drawings, um, which are you know in color and really um, it's the, the use of animal. Mm, stand-ins for the for the characters really allow, you know, ushers you in. Well, the fact that yeah, the the lead character is
0: William Swallow, drawn as a swallow. swallow. Uh, his uh, convict mates are jailbirds, <laughs> Yeah. so yep. they are literally drawn as <laughs> yep. jailbirds. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a, a wonderful sense of humour to this book, yep. but also it's packed with detail as mm. well yeah, in terms yeah. of as it, as it says presenting the true story of a convict and pirate.
1: Yeah. Oh, and so then you and you get to the end and you, and uh, yeah, Simon who's again immersed in 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 the world of of colonial uh, uh, Australia gives you the um a ballad, the ballad of uh, William Swallow, which is which was sort of a classic. Uh, you know, you sang it with your buddies when you were, you know, railing against the powers that were keeping you. You know, it was like it was like a dream sort of character. You know, he, he stole a boat and he ran away. And you know, he, he, he come all you sons of
0: freedom, a uh-huh. chorus join with me. I'll sing a song of heroes and glorious liberty.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that's Jailbird by Simon Barnard, published by the wonderful Text. Uh, local publishing outfit, uh, book publishing outfit. Um, Now, Richard, I know, I know that it ill behooves one to toot one's own horn, as uh, the wonderful Dave from Foon used to say in Nexus, uh, uh, that comic, great comic from the 80s. But I have a comic uh, which you can check out online, which is excellent. You just go to a place called Writing This Place, which is a part of Darabin Arts and Darabin Arts uh, had held a program writing this place, and writing this place assigned ten writers: Patricia Cornelius, Chris Thompson, Cynthia Troop, Sean Prower, Sean Pryor, Mitch Welch, Lachlan McDowell, Tanya Chandler, Eloise Young, and Justin Hazelwood, uh, the Bedroom Philosopher. And each one of those North um, Darabin residents got a location within Darabin, and they all each wrote a piece, plays. Uh, poetry and I did a comic uh, called The Future is Flamingos and um, so all of the (laughs) and now this has been published uh, online. My location was the Darabin Parklands so I did a story called The Future is Flamingos and um, so this anthology has now been published online so you can go and read it for free so it's called you go to writing this place that's what you enter into your search engine of choice choice thank you Uh, and it's a publication of by Darabin Arts um, the wonderful Liz Welch there sort of coordinated this program and each of these writers produced a meditation, I suppose, a discussion, a interaction with that location in Darabin. So that great, uh, yeah, it was fantastic to do, be part of. And um, the uh, this idea of embroidering landscape, uh, I think, is is one of the great tasks of Making anything well. Interestingly,
0: the um, uh, Melbourne City of Literature Office is doing a similar project. They are. So, if you go to the uh, Melbourne City of Literature (laughs) website or check their Twitter feed, they're calling for writers to write about suburbs, to write about towns, to to. Embroider
1: Victoria Mm. in words, Mm. and it's and it's so that that you put a pitch in at the moment, and then they, if you get selected, it, it comes out during in 2018, I believe, that that project. So that's a that's a writing this place on a larger scale, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Speaking of writing, let's, yeah. let's segue into self-publishing
0: just quickly okay, before we wrap up. let's do it. Come on. Um, zines. Yeah. I, I believe there's something
1: zine-related so on it. So zine Things are so zine um, In at the State Library of Victoria, uh, at the moment, the self-made exhibition. Self-made, colon, zines and artist books. So that's an exhibition that's on there at the moment until the 12th of November. Uh, Monica Syrett has curated that. There's sci-fi fanzines from the 40s. There's punk zines from the 70s. I hope there's Richard Watts's zine, Burning Times. From the 90s. From the 90s. Uh, and, but and if you want to go go and see that and, and, and interact with a whole lot of Zine makers and comic book makers go to Tona Palooza, uh, as in, you know. What a great time. <laughs> Tona Palooza, which is presented by the State Library of Victoria and the magnificent Sticky Institute. So, Sticky, our uh, zine heaven that we've got here in melbourne so state library of victoria and sticky are, um, are producing tona palooza on the 23rd and 24th of september so that's a weekend 23rd and 24th of september 10 to 4 p.m and on those days you go in and there'll be people selling their zines and writing zines and making comics that'll be a really um you know go to see this exhibition any day but that's a great weekend, Tonopalooza? Palooza, Turn- I Turnapalooza. suppose. Tonopalooza. Tonopalooza. Yeah. Uh, on the 23rd and 24th of... September. September. From 10am to 4pm, and it's free. Free, so free. In
0: the red rotunda. <laughs>
1: it's <laughs> it's getting a little bit David Lynch. <laughs> uh,
0: more info at www.slv.vic.gov.au forward slash what's hyphen on.
1: Mm. Very good. good. Watts. Excellent. Okay, Mr. Watts, I'll be off. Uh, see you in to a see week. You Bernard
0: we'll no, see Bernard No, a month. A month. Yeah, it's good. Uh, see you in a month's time. Talk more comic book goodness. Look forward to it. Victoria Lynn is the director of Tarawarra Museum of Art and she's curated the Tarawarra International 2017 All That Is Solid. Victoria, welcome back. Thank you so much. Now, this is, from memory, the third Tarawara International.
2: Correct. We launched the series in 2012, 13, with Animate inanimate, which was a group show. And then two years ago, we had the exhibition of the work of the French artist Pierre Wig, um, which was a solo exhibition, the first of of his work in Australia. And this year, we've gone back to the idea of the group show again with uh, two international artists and three Australians.
0: One of the things about a group show is that it enables you to explore a theme or an idea from multiple perspectives, multiple viewpoints, sometimes overlapping quite sometimes quite separate and different. Talk to us about what you wanted to explore with this particular iteration of the, the Tarawara International. I mean, its title, All That Is Solid, I was initially thinking of, of Shakespeare and, and The Tempest and dissolving into air, into thin air, but it's from a phrase from the Communist Manifesto.
2: It is indeed. Karl Marx, with the assistance of Engels, wrote and coined that phrase, All That Is Solid Melts Into Air. But we've suspended the phrase with uh, three dots um when marx was working uh on his communist manifesto he was really interested in um uh encouraging an uprising and tearing down what had gone before and the phrase became uh very popular with the publication of a book by marshall berman in 1982 uh, who also talked about modernism and the idea of rising up against what's gone before, tearing it down, and really looking at the spirit of the avant garde. So, in a way, just using the term all that is solid, Asks the audience, well, what does follow after? Nothing that is solid really seems solid anymore. Um, what? How can we? Uh, how can we express our feelings about the fact that many of the institutions we used to rely on are no longer reliable, no longer solid, and. Uh, What these artists do is they don't melt things into air so much as look at the past and reorganise it or reassemble it for the viewer in visual ways.
0: So using archives, for example?
2: Correct. Using archives. For instance, the artist, uh, Melbourne artist Patrick Pound, originally from New Zealand, has used an archive of photographs from the US Farm Security Archive from the 1930s, when many famous photographers like Walker Evans, for instance, went out into farming land and documented the, the effects of the depression on the landscape at that time. And the archivist at the time decided that some of the negatives were no longer useful. So took it upon himself to punch a hole in each negative, but Keep them, and uh, Patrick has managed to source the prints of these uh, of these photographs. Each one having a very dark black circle in the middle of it, and it's quite a curious relationship between the original black and white image of Depression America and uh, this, as it turns out, an arc of a moon-like uh, circle that that permeates all of the all of the photographs.
0: Now, as you said, this is a, a, uh, an exhibition which is. Bringing together international artists and Australian artists, so we've got, as well as uh, New Zealand-born Australian artists, for example, uh, we've there's uh, uh, an artist from Turkey, there's another uh, artist from China. What 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 are the connecting threads that they're bringing in to the exhibition?
2: The artist from China, Carl Fei, and the artist from Turkey, Didem Erk, both look at landscape. For Carl Fei, uh, she's looking at the situation in Beijing where buildings are being turned over very rapidly to build skyscrapers. And it's a beautiful 14-minute video set on the location of where her studio used to be. It's rubble. There's dust permeating the air. And she introduces into that rubble various characters. Uh, There are policemen, there are children, uh, there is a kind of a deranged man dressed as a farmer and then there are a number of uh, robots which take the form of the rumba, the sort of circular... uh, AI vacuum cleaner that um, is becoming more and more popular now and they try and clean up this rubble and they have an incredible pathos to them and we're also exhibiting two of the robots in the body of the exhibition as well so this is a location um, where all that is solid is being turned into rubble and she tries to bring back aspects of the past there are stuffed chickens and plastic pieces and bits and pieces from the past there as well so she tries to invoke memory of of the past while also nodding to the AI of the future
0: it sounds like all the artists uh, are in some way this is a post postmodern exhibition it's kind of Postmodernism broke everything down. Now the artists are reassembling it in new ways. They're picking up the rubble, piecing it back together, uh, piecing memory back together as well.
2: I think memory is a really important part of the exhibition. Um, Didemirk has done two videos, both located on significant borders. One is the border in Cyprus between Greek Cyprus and Turkish Cyprus The other one is a border that exists between the Aegean Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. It's a small part of Turkey from which many refugees have tried to cross to the Greek islands. And she walks along these borders and she reads from the poems and the novels of Cypriot and Turkish writers who remember time and everyday activities in those sites. And um, I think when artists use archives, they do uh, invoke memories, but they also invoke the memories that archives have not documented. They invoke, in a way, the gaps that exist in archives. And uh, they, in that way, they refresh the archive and bring it into something new.
0: The idea of something new uh, when we're talking about art is something that fascinates me because an exhibition like this is documenting what exists rather than what is yet unmade. But nonetheless, there's also an acknowledgement of... uh, of things co- coalescing, of of a coming together, of the the potential for new work that will spring. For example, people who artists who visit Tarawara for this exhibition, who view it, may then in turn be inspired to make their own work, which transforms memory into a, into an object, into the everyday.
2: That's correct. Cyrus Tang, uh, Hong Kong Australian artist, um, gives an afterlife as it were to the archive she uses encyclopedias like the old children's encyclopedia or the modern world encyclopedia and she takes the contents out of the out of the binding of the book and puts it into a kiln which in a way creates this extraordinary cascading volume of forms. You you just can't imagine what putting a whole bunch of paper into a kiln does to it. So in a way it's cremating the encyclopedia, which of course talks about the death of the encyclopedia, but the form that she's created from it... Gives the encyclopedia a new life, gives it an afterlife, if you like. And uh, I think it is important for artists to understand the ways in which memories from the past and archival images can generate new ideas and new images about the past but also about the present.
0: I like the, the the idea of that using the kiln as an analogy for, I don't know, the white heat of, of the media or of the attention of the world uh, and again that notion of transformation. We live in, the era in which we are living now. Uh, there's a sense of change and transformation, perhaps a, a transition backwards in some ways when you look at the neo-Nazi rallies that we've seen in, in the US or the indeed the neo-Nazi stickers that have been plastered across Melbourne just recently. So there's a sense of time turning backwards but also perhaps uh, time advancing forwards even faster. To what degree do you think are these artists, through the use of archive and memory, documenting a world in transition, in change?
2: I think their work has emerged from the current situation of absolute turbulence and change and transition and liquidity. And I think they've found ingenious ways to not reject the past but to look at the past and see what's happened in those situations as reminders of what could happen in the future and in the present. And I think the works are very much uh, connected to the precarity with which we live in the present moment. If
0: you've just tuned in, we're talking with Victoria Lynn, the director of Tarawarra Museum of Art, about the Tarawarra International 2017, which she's curated, All That Is Solid. It's on now until the 12th of November uh, at Tarawarra Museum of Art, uh, which is uh, just outside of Healesville, up in the Yarra Valley. Victoria, how did you come to be aware of the individual artists who you've curated into the exhibition, and were they aware of one another's own practice before you brought them together into this exhibition?
2: Not necessarily, actually. They weren't aware of each other. Um, exhibitions of this kind really build slowly over a long time, and in many ways you could say I started with the Turkish artist Didimirk, whose work I saw in an Istanbul biennial back in 2013. So the idea has been percolating for some time and as as one travels and as one does studio visits and sees exhibitions, you start to see links between works and then... Um, suggest to suggest to the group of artists that they might want to make a new work around these themes that are completely relevant to their, to their own practice. So it's a new experience in that way for all the artists in the show um, and always a wonderful experience for Australian artists to see their work in a global context.
0: So for an artist like Tom Nicholson, for example, whose charcoal drawings are pre- presented in the exhibition, how significant is this exhibition for him in terms of his career and in terms of connecting him with a, a kind of peers operating in not necessarily in similar mediums but operating on similar wavelengths intellectually and and artistically around the world.
2: Tom Nicholson is a very successful artist already. He's just about to go over to Belgium for a show that he's in there. But he has done for us the largest drawing that he's ever done. It's 167 square metres. It takes up the whole of the North Gallery. It took something like seven people six days to create. And um, I think... Tom, like the other artists, always use an exhibition as an opportunity to push their practice and to learn something new from the practice. So, whereas this is a work that he had uh, done once before at the Art Gallery of New South Wales in Sydney, and I'm sure we'll do again, he really wanted to make it relevant to the site. Uh, the The work is actually based on a colonial story. And I think the location of our North Gallery, looking out over the Yarra Valley, where there's been a very strong story of uh, Aboriginal dispossession and we have really good links with the elders in Hillsville and the story of the Corander mission, etc. he really wanted to locate that drawing which is the result of a colonial story in that space and in that way exhibitions like this can be really important for artists as moving forward onto their next Projects
0: and I, I, again, I love to come back to the the physical location of Tarawarra. It, that notion of uh, a conversation happening, a, a discourse from an artist, uh, a Sydney artist with a, a Melbourne gallery, a Melbourne location. The the, the physicality of the Arrow Valley. It's fascinating to see the way that space informs work.
2: Correct. We uh, we really pursue a theme at Tarawara to look at the relationship between art, place and ideas. Uh, it is a place of extraordinary beauty, but also complex histories. And we invite our audiences to go into those complex histories within the museum itself. Um, one can rejoice in the view, but one also needs to understand uh, the histories and... Uh, And um, anecdotes that come from that view and that inform our understanding of it.
0: The Tarawarra Museum of Art is located at 311 Hillsville Yarra Glen Road, just outside of Heelsville, and is open Tuesdays to Sundays, 11am to 5pm, and all public holidays except Christmas Day, and admission is only 10 bucks. Um, uh, and you can find out more information if you jump online www.twma.com.au. The Tarawarra International 2017, All That Is Solid, curated by my guest Victoria Lynn, who is also the director of the Tarawarra Museum of Art. Victoria Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much.
0: The Melbourne Fringe Festival is kind of hurtling towards us like, I don't know, like some kind of garish juggernaut festooned with uh, artists, performers, live art makers. Uh, As part of the festival, there's um, a work that's being presented as part of the Melbourne Fringe's kind of deadly fringe uh, works looking at, uh, presented by Indigenous artists and performers. One of those works is Biladrung, Uh, presented and uh, created and performed by Joel Bray, who joins us in the studio now. Joel, how's it going?
3: Hey Richard, thanks for having me. My very great pleasure. Juggernaut is the word, I was at the program launch, it is an epic festival this year. It's
0: huge, it's (laughs) absolutely huge. Now, this is a a dance theatre work, Mm -hmm. which you're presenting in a a hotel
3: room, I understand, at the Sofitel.
0: Why a hotel room?
3: Um, Well, actually, originally, my first idea was to have it on stage set in a hotel room. And then I was sitting with my producer at the Fringe and and he scratched his head and said, why don't you actually do it in a hotel room? It was one of those kind of like lights on moments. And the Sofitel have a history of supporting the arts and performance and they've been an awesome sponsor. So it just works perfectly for the idea of the work.
0: And it, what is the idea of the work? Talk to us about what you're exploring in this piece, which, uh, as I said, the title, uh, biladurang is a... Were,
3: uh, Wiradjuri word. Wiradjuri
0: yeah. word for platypus?
3: Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this, the work's not really about the, the creation story of the platypus, but there's this... Link there of this creature that's kind of a bit of a mutant creature, it's, uh, not a duck and not a mammal kind of thing, and and this character who is in this kind of no place of a hotel room is stuck somewhere between. I'm mean, on a radio, so you can't see, but I'm blonde and blue-eyed and as you know, fair as they come. So this kind of character who doesn't really fit in either the black or the white world, queer from a religious background living abroad the last year I've just been living out of hotel rooms like I think I averaged eight nights on average in a different place and uh, so yeah it's this kind of character who pauses for a moment and is stuck in this no place doesn't fit anywhere.
0: So it's clearly then a very very personal work, given your cultural heritage, uh, as you've described the way you present. If people don't know know you and don't know your cultural background, people are presumably just going to go, "Oh, he's Anglo." So yeah, yeah. get Swedish a lot. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, talk to us then about the, the genesis of the work. What made you, th- apart from clearly, as you said, the last year being stuck in hotel rooms and uh, in, in a no place, a physical no place, these kind of transitional zones, really. Uh, what was it, what else was it that made you want to kind of explore this uh, issue of uh, your heritage, your culture, uh, how you present for people who don't know your culture in a, in a work at Melbourne Fringe?
3: so like you said it's intensely personal this is the first time This is a, for me this is the first time I've ever made a work like this I didn't even set out to make a work I just started to write I started making these pieces of writing um, and then for some reason I started uh, again always in a hotel room I started reading them aloud to myself in the mirror and uh, realised I, I yeah just kind of organically rolled into, into this this work and um, so it Yeah, I didn't set out to pursue a particular theme or a particular idea, but once I'd collected these apparently disparate pieces of writing, then I started to see this link, this idea that was running through it. So it came out of of a really tumultuous period in my life of substantial change. I was living in Israel for ten years and I had to leave because of the end of a relationship, and then I was travelling. So it was this kind of really big disjuncture that happened in my life that made me pause for a moment. And I guess that's what this character does. He takes a moment to look over his shoulder and goes, how, how did I get here? Is this where I'm supposed to be? Is Am I good? Am I good enough? Like, you know, what what is this? What is all, what? And for a moment he kind of zooms out of himself and sees the forest for the trees a little bit and is able to, or, to go to kind of look at himself this outside observational eye and go... Who are you? What 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 is this that you're doing? Are you doing the right thing kind of thing? You keep
0: talking about the character. So presumably to have you created a character uh in order to make yourself more comfortable presenting this work?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Not not just presenting but in terms of going through the process. It's it, it's easier for me to it is me. It's absolutely me. But somehow that's the thing about making a solo a solo practice, you know, like in some ways you have to like change your hat, okay, so now I'm the director and now I'm looking at myself like the director and and I'm the performer. Yeah.
0: Now, speaking of yourself as a performer, uh, you're perhaps best known to Melbourne audiences as a dancer with Chunky Move. Yeah. So you've said you were writing a lot for this piece. So yep. it's clearly not... Just a theatre piece, and not just a dance piece, but blurring the the boundaries again, again stuck in the middle between one
3: art form and another. Absolutely, yeah. That binary thing just keeps repeating over and over again. Actually, I got I got really bad kind of choreographer's writer's block at some point because I had all these pieces of writing, but I was like, "But I'm a I'm a I'm a dancer and a choreographer. Like, what am I doing with these?" And I remember just there were months of me just reading them and reading them and not knowing what I was doing. And I was talking with a friend, and he said. Um, I was like, I, I, how do I make a dance out of this? And he just kind of leaned over and said, love, you've written a play. <laughs> and the moment he said that, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, you know, I can't write a play. I've never written a play. And then, But the moment I changed that switch, then all of a sudden, ironically, I found the dance in it. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's not dance and it's not theatre and it's not dance theatre. There's this energetic shift that just moves through text and through the body all the time.
0: How do you choreograph a work like this? What was your beginning when, when you realised that you had had a play and that allowed you to then find the dance within it? Talk to us. Talk us through that process.
3: Um, well, I guess it would be like okay. So I've, I would once I got off page. So I, I would I learnt the text. Once I was able to speak the text, and it was clear what was missing or what what that was the launching point into, and often. Or always, actually, in this case, there was only a dance or a kind of an embodied response. The text stopped, and it was just natural or organic of what happens next.
0: That it needs to be punctuated by movement.
3: Exactly. So the so the the structure of the work is that it kind of flow. The 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 I don't know, a dance is not the right term. It's more like kind of physical textures that get used in order to link or to to draw the narrative through the. Um, the pretty different t- styles of the texts.
0: Now, the idea of being trapped in a hotel room with a dancer could be slightly terrifying in some ways if it's a very physical piece.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the idea of kind of like, I mean, hotel rooms aren't huge, so if you're kind of leaping and kicking and throwing yourself around, I can, I'm kind of imagining the, the audience pressed up against the wall slightly nervously, but I get the impression uh, without knowing what the movement is like that this is a more controlled uh, constrained piece of dance accompanied by the text and the performance.
3: Yeah, I think earlier on I th- was expecting something that was going to be super provocative and super nuts, but as it, as it's gone along, it's turned into something a little bit more gentle. So yeah, there's definitely no leaping over the heads of the audience <laughs> or anything <laughs> crazy like that. I mean, it, the work climaxes and all of it, but actually it's it's quite intimate and quite gentle.
0: Yeah. which um reminds me i of a piece i saw in at the Adelaide festival mm-hmm. uh just recently which was um uh, restless dance theater, intimate space again performed in in a hotel, but in corridors in a hotel as well as in a room and in the uh, in the laundry of the space and so forth and it was fascinating to look at a hotel through a com- through completely different eyes and suddenly not look at it as just a place you check into sleep and stay, but a place where other people work, their lives go on all around us and uh, the the reason I bring this up is i 'm thinking that how are the hotel staff responding to you because presumably you have to bump in and make the work and and find the find the right room to perform it in kind of what's the response of not the hotel management who we know are are very supportive of of the arts but have you had conversations with the hotel staff about what you're doing and why you're doing it
3: yeah i mean they've been amazing actually um so i met with the head I probably get her title wrong but basically the head of housekeeping there and um and we like you know they're rearranging the total room for me like rearranging the the furniture um there's two shows a night so they're going to come in and do a full maid service even I've been in there a few nights just um I stayed a few nights overnight in order to like experience the room as it, as it was designed to find the space exactly to feel it yeah. and they would turn up and offer me a turndown service and come up with a bowl of fruit it's like it's been pretty my original idea was like you know a really dirty kind of roadside motel I ended up with one of the junior suites in the Sofitel which is a totally different vibe it's been really fun yeah they've can, been amazing
0: yeah yeah the, how to what degree then has the work changed if you did initially uh, envisage it taking place in some grungy kind of uh, run down hotel motel in the suburbs for example, what emotional shift has transplanting it into a pretty upmarket hotel had on the tone of the work
3: um, well, what it did allow is is I, i'm I, I think stylistically i'm really interested in lo fi i'm really interested in um achieving of 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 using little to achieve a lot um, and so this particular hotel room because they're so you know it's quite luxurious so it's equipped with all the bells and whistles allow me very quickly to go okay one of the remits I gave myself is I'm bringing nothing into the space in terms of costumes sets lighting anything you know my computer to run the music and then to just to redeploy everything in the space from the linen to the towels to the toiletries to the Gideon Bible to the furniture and that's really only when I went into the space for the first time and realized that did the work really fall into place because until then it was just a whole bunch of like ideas once I had that restriction in a way, it kind of just really it's fallen into place.
0: Fantastic The work is called Biladurung. Uh it's a deadly fringe event supported by uh, Ilbidjuri Theatre Company and the Willan Centre and it's performed in the Sofitel Melbourne on Collins so uh, it's a not a dance work, not a theatre work, not a dance theatre work, it's its own hybrid thing just like the platypus and indeed just like my guest Joel Bray. Joel thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thanks so much Richard <laughs>